I've always been one that I have felt that, Lord, when I go to church, I want to hear more from your word, more scripture than I do from someone else's book that they have written. I want to hear what God has written more than anything. And this whole week I have been battling with what am I going to share this morning. And it kept coming to me, I need to share a story about a person's life. And I thought, but Lord, that goes against everything that I I just feel. At The Bible is more important than somebody's story that no one can relate to because they don't know this person. And God says, oh, they know this person. I'm like, okay. So he laid this person's name on my heart. And um, I contacted their family. And their family is actually here today. And I have permission to share this person's story. Um, Some scriptures that were very vital in this person's life. If you want to mark your Bible, um, Psalm chapter 37. So Psalm 37. And if you want to mark that, another area that we will flip to is Matthew chapter 7. So to start with, we'll be in Psalm 37 and then Matthew chapter 7. And Brian, I think I need to change the title since I couldn't think of one this morning. Um, I think it needs to be trust (laughs) instead. So we'll be in Psalm 37, and then we'll flip over to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, I just need to say a quick prayer. Oh, Lord God, our gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that you just take over me right now. I ask, Father, that as the songs that we sang, that you will just fill me with your Holy Spirit, And help me to follow your lead. Anoint this service, Father. It's about you and what you have done and what you are doing. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I share this story, if you think you know who this person is, which will be revealed later, don't tell anybody yet. Just wait. Just wait. It starts with this little girl and her first words. And family members have said that they think she had three first words. One was mama, dada, and horsey. And mama and dada are like, where in the world did horsey come from? They didn't have animals. They didn't even live on a farm. But horsey was one of this girl's words. And as the girl began to grow up, that's all she wanted. She wanted a horse. I want a horsey. I want a horsey. Daddy, can I please have a horse? I want a horse. Daddy's like, no way. We don't have a place to keep it. You cannot have a horse. There's no way. She starts school. She still wants a horse. In fact, her mother told her... um, And has told other people she hated to go into her daughter's bedroom as she got older. It was like walking into a barn 
because the wall was covered with horse posters and a collection of briar horses all over the place. Everything was about horses. Had to have a horse. Just had to have a horse. So if she couldn't have a real one, she was going to have pictures of them and hung them up all over her wall. She's probably kindergarten, first grade, and uh, she goes and she asks her parents again, can I please have a horse? No, child, you cannot have a horse. We don't have a place to keep it. You cannot have one. They cost too much money, and besides, who would take care of it? She says, I would. No, it's too, too much responsibility. But her parents told her something different this time. They said, pray about it. Pray about it. You pray, and you tell God what you want, and ask him about getting a horse. So she did. In fact, she went as far as to writing it down in this little Holly Hobby. I don't know how many of you remember Holly Hobby. Little journal. Every single day was written, I wish I had a horse. I wish I had a horse. I wish I had a horse. Until about eight months into that year, when she asked her parents again for a horse and was told no. Then it read in great big letters, I hate horses across several pages. I hate horses. Till the little girl broke down in tears and said, Jesus, I don't hate horses. You made them. I just want one. Why can't I have one? And then she changed to the last few months of, I love horses. And then the last three pages said, thank you, Jesus, for my horse, even though I don't have one yet. It was about six to eight years later when the miracle of all miracles happened for this little girl. She went once again to her parents after praying every day, can I get a horse? Well, now she's a little bit older, and her father said, here's the deal. If you can find a place that will keep your horse for free, you can have a horse. Oh, man, she was ready. She's like, here we go, God. She got on her bicycle, and she took off. And she went to farm after farm till she could find somebody. <laughs> the first farmer said, no way. No, I don't have time. to. I've got a horse of my own. I don't have time to take care of anybody else's horse. Okay, rejection again. So she drove the other direction down the road. She stopped at this little farm. She knocks on the door. She takes a deep breath and she says, I see you have ponies. The man says, yes. She says, well, I'm looking for a place to keep my horse. He goes, you have a horse? She goes, no, not yet. (laughs) But I want one, and I need a place to keep it. She goes, I'll take care of your ponies for you. And he says, well, let me make a deal with you. He says, you come over, you take care of my ponies every day, and you can keep your horse here for free. And she's like, yes. (laughs) Wait till I tell my dad. 
So she gets on her bike, she goes back home, and she says, Guess what, Dad? I found a place to keep my horse for free. And she says the look on her dad's face was like the deer in the headlights. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Now I have got to find a horse. That was the deal. And where am I going to get the money to buy a horse? And she started thanking God even more for a horse that she hadn't even gotten yet. And then one day her dad says, Well, we're going to go look at a horse. Oh, she's so excited. She knew the people. She knew the family. They've had horses all their lives. And so she knew this was going to be it. This was the best horse ever. They get there. She gets to ride this horse, and she never really ridden horses before, maybe a pony here or there at the fair, or get to sit on her uncle's big thoroughbred, but that was about the extent of her experience in riding horses. And she got on this quarter horse, and it was a very high-spirited horse. She could barely control it, but she wanted that horse. She knew that was the horse that was for her because she had been praying since she was just wee little. And now here's this opportunity and here's this horse. It's a beautiful horse. She could barrel race. She could do all kinds of stuff with this horse. And the owner of the horse said, it's got too much spirit for this little girl. And her dad said, no, that's not the horse. Oh, she was devastated. She cried and she cried and she cried. But Lord... This was working out. I prayed and, and now I'm able to get a horse and now I can't have it. And I even got to ride it. And oh, total devastation. But there happened to be a gentleman at that farm that day that had spoke to her father and said, my daughter's gone to college and I told her she has to sell one of her horses. So the dad told the little girl this. She didn't want to go see it. There's no way. She wanted that horse she had ridden, and that was all there was to it. That was the horse God given her, and she wanted that horse. So she thought. But the dad and his wisdom, and the owner of the other horse and their wisdom, knew better. And so they went to see this other horse. The girl reluctantly gets out of the vehicle and she said she looked at that horse and there was something different, something totally different. She walked over to the fence and the horse came up to her and started nuzzling her face and she started to cry. And she said, thank you, Jesus. This is my horse, isn't it? This is mine. You picked out this horse for me. Jesus loved me that much. He picked out that horse for me. And she wiped her tears real fast so nobody would see. And the owner got the horse out, walked it around, saddled it up, told the girl how this horse, you know, how to ride this horse. And that horse became that girl's gift from God. But it wasn't to last a lifetime like the girl thought. It lasted eight years. And during that eight years, that horse had a colt. And God was blessing this young girl with the desires of her heart. 
Not only did she have this horse, her dream come true, her dream horse, she now had a colt, and someone gave her a gorgeous, beautiful black Morgan stallion, and she was just starting to train it when life took a turn in a way that she had never, ever imagined. And it rocked her soul and her family's soul to the core. And I don't know if you've ever had a year or a season in your life that you wish you could just take it and get rid of it as if it never happened. That was what was happening here. And it started in 1988 in February, and it didn't end until February 1989. And every single month for that entire year, something devastating happened in this family's life. Every single month. And it started with this girl getting her dream job as a veterinarian assistant and falling downstairs and twisting her ankle. as You know, no big deal. Oh, but it was a huge deal. Because she went to a doctor and the ankle wasn't getting better. So in March... He gave her two injections of cortisone. And those of you that work in the medical profession, you know the importance of being sterile. And the experience that this young lady had as working as a veterinary assistant also knew the importance of things being sterile. And so she questioned the doctor when he gave her her first shot of cortisone. And then he took it and stuck it back in the vial of cortisone and pulled out another cc and stuck it in the top of her foot and she was like you don't you you need to wipe that off with alcohol the doctor knows better right he's smarter he's had the training april the girl is losing weight and she now has these lumps forming on her foot and they're very very painful she goes back to the doctor and the doctor says oh looks like there might be a sterile abscess in there we're gonna have to open it up okay so he did but with abscesses they have to be able to get air and they have to drain and it's kind of really gross But he sutured her foot back up. And she questioned him, don't you need to put a drain in there? Well, if that's what you want, fine. So he put a little one in, and the next morning she had to go back, and he just yanked it right out. Seven days later, the stitches had rotted out. She now couldn't keep food down very well. She was losing more weight. She now had... About a grapefruit size lump in her groin because infection was now traveling up her leg. She had a relative that was a doctor and they happened to see him at a family gathering and he looked at her and he showed her where they were going to amputate her leg. 
She's like, no, that can't happen. No way, no way. He also gave her father a list of questions to take to the doctor and say this and this and this needs done. And the doctor was furious and called her dad some names and all kinds of things and told her just to cover it with a Band-Aid. So her father got a hold of the relative who was a doctor and said, this is what we face, what can you do? Two days later, she ends up in Toledo Hospital, met by a staff of eight physicians. And they looked at her, and they said, this is not good. They told her some things that was going to take place, from bone scans, CAT scans, MRIs, X-rays, all kinds of blood work. She said she thought she'd never have any blood left because they took so much out of her. But one of the most difficult parts was when they told her they had to see if they could get any fluid out of her foot, but her foot would not numb. So it was two nurses on each side and three on one leg, two holding the other, and her cousin laying across her belly to hold her down so they could get 20 cc's of fluid out of her foot and test it. The doctors told her, that it looks really bad, and that if the infection got to the bone, she would lose her foot for sure. And they scheduled her for surgery that afternoon. Her mother got on the phone, and she called everybody she could think of across this country and said, please pray. Please pray. We don't know what the outcome's going to be, but just pray. Surgery got canceled because of a serious car crash. So it was scheduled the next day. Same thing. Another very serious car crash. The operating rooms were full. She couldn't have her surgery again. Finally, she has surgery. She was terrified. She comes in out of surgery in the recovery and she was trying to feel, she said she was kicking herself to make sure her foot was still there and they had to strap her leg down and you don't kick yourself, you'll injure it. She goes, just tell me, do I have a foot? Yes, you have your foot. Okay, that is all she needed to know. The next day the doctors come in and they show all the test results. Now she worked as a vet assistant. She knew how to read x-rays. She knew how to read the MRIs. And the bone scans. And she was devastated. Because every single test result showed that the bone was thoroughly infected. And she knew what the doctor was going to say before he said it. And she started to cry. And her mother was fighting the tears. And the doctor says, you must have somebody praying for you. And she's like, yeah, the whole country, why? (laughs) Like, it's going to make a difference? Well, when we got in there and we were debriding all of this, it stopped at the tendon. The bone is not infected like the test results all show. Somebody's praying for you. But then he said, you're not out of the woods yet. 
She had a staph infection, a strep infection, and a type of bacteria. They had no idea what it was. So she was put in isolation for 25 days of the 30 days that she was in the hospital. The whole month of June, (laughs) she was in the hospital. And during that time, it was three hours away from home. So none of her family came to visit her except her mom and dad and sister. Grandparents didn't come. Aunts and uncles didn't come. Friends didn't even come. Except two ladies from the church that they had attended came one night and spent time with her. She said she never felt so alone in all of her life as she did those 30 days. And she couldn't understand why is God doing this. But she took that time in isolation to get into the Word of God, and that's where she read Psalm 37. And she was angry. She was angry with the doctors. She was angry with what was going on. And she just couldn't really make sense of all of it. But as she prayed and she was angry and telling God all of her anger, and and she's like, Lord, I don't even know what else to do anymore. Why can't you just take me? I'm done. I'm worthless. And she opened her Bible to Psalm 37. Verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. But trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Boy, she said the first time she read that, she said, yeah, right, Lord. It took years for me to get this horse I prayed for, and now I'm in a situation where I don't even know if I'll ever be able to ride my horse again. Why would you give me something and take it away? That was the desire of her heart. Why would God do that? And then she continued. Verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. And she thought, well, okay, whatever. What else, Lord? What else do I need to know? And so she turned to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, starting with verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? 
If you then, being evil, knows how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. And she said, Okay, God, I'm asking. I'm asking for more of you. I'm asking for you to help me commit my way to you because I can't do anything. She goes, I want to seek you. Obviously, things in in life can come and go, but the only thing that will last is Jesus Christ. So she began to seek and, and, and talk to God. And it wasn't long when she had to go meet with um, her infectious disease specialist. And he told her, look, he said, the cortisone has dried your bones out in your ankle. He said, you will no longer run. You will no longer jump. You will walk slow. You will never, ever dance, which she didn't care. She didn't dance anyway. But you will never, ever ride horses again. She said, why? One bump and your bones and your foot will shatter and you will lose your foot. Will it ever go away? No. It'll only spread up your leg. Man, again, what is God doing? She cried out to God again, Lord, I just read your word. And I'm asking, I'm seeking, and I'm knocking, and you said you'd give me the desires of my heart. What is going on here? God didn't answer her. He let her be angry. He let her reach that point of where she couldn't do anything else but surrender completely to Him. But it didn't happen right away. Oh, she, she spent time with God in the hospital too and she felt in her heart that she needed to go back to college. But she struggled with that too because her guidance counselor in high school told her she was too stupid to become anything in life. She got a 12 on her ACT. Who gets into college with a 12 on your ACT? But God told her, you're going to college. And she's saying, I'm too dumb. Who's going to take me? A state college had to because I'm part of that state. And so she's thinking, well, that's that state college I've been hearing about. I have to go there. They have to take me. No matter how stupid I am, that's where I have to go. So, Lord, if you want me to go to college, then I guess I'll go to this state college. And God made it clear to her that it was a temporary college but eventually she was going to end up at Anderson University she said there is no way it is too far from home 
and it costs way too much money. And I'm not going, she says. I'm just not going, God. And God just said, if you want to follow me, commit to my ways, this is the plan. So she held on to that, she said. But she gets home, and in July, her black stallion gets deathly sick. She wasn't allowed out in the barn. She couldn't do anything for him, just watch others try to take care of him. In August, her favorite cat died. In September, her grandfather has a heart attack. Now he's moved in with them. In October, he has some other physical illnesses to where family members had to come and they took him to go back to another state where his wife was buried. November, well also in October, her black stallion died. She didn't even get to really say goodbye to him because she wasn't allowed to go in the barn because her foot was wide open. It had to heal on its own. They couldn't do skin grafts because of the third infection, which was a mycobacterium called Chelone, a slow-growing bacteria. On her birthday, of all things, her dream horse dies. December, right around Christmas, her grandfather has another heart attack. In January, she says she forgot January, February, her grandfather died and they couldn't make it to the funeral because it was winter and it was several states away. For a solid year, this gal's world was rocked. And so was her family's. You talk about a testing of your faith and learning how to trust God. That was tough. But God kept reminding her, if you ask and you seek and you knock, you will find. And so she began to ask, what is it that I need to seek? What is it that I need to find? More faith? More trust? But total surrender in Jesus Christ. So then she was led to Proverbs chapter 3. So turn to Proverbs chapter 3. One of the things that she said she learned during this whole time, and it was like a roller coaster of testing of her faith, but one of the things that she learned during this time was God's promises are true. He promised He would never leave us or forsake us, and He didn't. Oh, at times she felt forsaken, but God was still there. His Holy Spirit was still there. So she learned that his promises are true. Even in the darkest times of life, when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he doesn't. He's right there. So what do we need to do in our darkest time? We need to ask to feel his presence. We need to seek him diligently with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need to knock on God's heart door and say, here I am. Take me in. I can't go through this battle alone. 
And what's God's promise? Say, ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door is open unto you. We knock on God's heart door, and He opens it up for us to come in with Him. And just rest in His peace. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Wow. That little girl was me. And some of you knew that. That little girl was me. And that little girl knew she wanted a horse more than anything else in this whole world. But that little girl was also a very shy, backward little girl that would bury her face on her dad's shoulder every Sunday morning so she wouldn't have to say hi to people. That little girl also prayed every single day in school, even through high school, Lord, don't let the teacher call on me because I know I'm stupid. And I don't want them to know that I'm stupid. So if anything comes out my mouth, I know it's going to be wrong, so don't let them call on me. Scared to death. My biggest dream was to be a veterinarian, and yet, and I've asked God, why, why didn't the door open for me to become a vet? That was something I always wanted, and God reminded me of me. <laughs> he said, think about it. God says he gives us the desires of our heart. My desire was to be a vet, but yet I was holding on to what a guidance counselor told me, that I was too stupid to make anything of my life. So the day in the hospital when the Holy Spirit showed me I needed to go back to college, I believed what the guidance counselor said more than what I believed the Holy Spirit was showing me. So God said, go for music education. Why? Music was easy. I knew I could do music. I knew I could play the piano. I knew I could sing. I could play any instrument. I could read music. I loved it. It was easy. So God had to prove to me that, yes, you could become something. And, yes, you can go to college. And, no, you're not stupid. But it took a long time for God to break through my own self-image. And for me to take a step back and say, Lord, here I am. Where you go, I'll go. Who you serve, I'll serve. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. It took a long time to get to that point, let me tell you. But I made it. I went to college. And I battled. Oh, I battled with not wanting people to know that I was stupid. 
And it took this little German lady who became my piano teacher before I went to Anderson University, get in my face with that strong German accent and point her finger in my face when I got her piano to be the softest she had ever heard it ever play because I didn't want her to hear me make a mistake. So I knew how to play that piano so soft that only I could hear it. And she stopped me and she turned me and looked at me in the eye. And she says, you! And I said, oh boy, here we go. But she pointed right at me. And she says, you, you are the greatest. Because there is no one else like you. I looked at her and I said, yeah, right. She says, no, 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 no. You! are the greatest, because there is no one else like you. And I said, and it's a good thing there's not. No, 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 no. And she told me again and again, and I started to sob. And I said, how can you say that? And she says, God don't make stupid. And she says, no one is stupid. Everyone is the greatest because God don't make junk. God gives you a mind. And as a Christian, it tells us in God's word, we have the mind of Christ. And she says, use it. Because any good thing that you have comes from God. Any good thing comes from God. Yes, God leads us into storms of life. Yes, He leads us into times where we're not only questioning what's going on, we're questioning Him. We're questioning self. But when we finally reach a point where we realize it's all about Him to begin with, and we are nothing without Him, that's when His Holy Spirit comes in and starts working amazing things in our life. But yet sometimes as the storms come, we so quickly forget what He's already brought us through. It's easy to forget. But the most important thing and what I have held on to is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. It's all about trusting in God. Commit your ways to God. And He will direct you. He's not going to lead you into fear. He's going to give you a boldness like you've never had before. To this very day, when I see people that I haven't seen since I was in high school, and they ask me, what do you do? And when I've shared with them, that I have since become an ordained minister, a lot of them look at me and say, tell me another one. No way. 
There ain't no way. There is no way you're going to get up in front of a bunch of people and talk. You wouldn't even raise your hand in class. Are you kidding me? And I said, it's not me. It's not me. It's God. I'm like, you're right. I would never do this. This is not my choice. But I have to follow God. And I have to go wherever he leads me. And if it means to spend 30 days in a hospital, three hours away from home, so be it. If it means I have to fly all the way around the world and become a missionary in some foreign land and I can't speak their language, so be it. If it means I have to stay right where I'm at in Dover, Ohio, so be it. It's not about me. Oh, the story of life can be interesting. Everybody has a story to tell. And God's word tells us in Revelations that they overcame by the power of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What is a testimony? It's a story about a life that God has been involved with and where God shines through. So this morning, I don't know. I don't know what you struggle with. Everybody has struggles. I don't know what it is. But I know this. As my piano teacher, Mrs. Nyland, told me, you are the greatest because there's no one else like you. It doesn't matter your shape or your size or your intelligence. It doesn't matter. God created you and God don't make stupid. He doesn't make junk. He created each and every one of us in the likeness of His image. And He graciously has given us the free gift of salvation. And Jesus has graciously given us His Holy Spirit to guide and to comfort and to lead us into all righteousness. He has graciously given us the mind of Christ so we can conquer anything that comes our way with wisdom. He's made us more than conquerors. We are victorious through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I don't know what struggle you're facing, but I want to encourage you, trust God. Trust God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Start thanking Him as that little girl did. Thanking for the horse that she didn't have yet. And to tell you the truth, that little girl still wants a horse. So if you know anybody that has a Clydesdale for sale, even though she has no place to keep it, it might fit in the living room. I don't know. But I know now at this age, I share my desires with God and I thank him. I thank him for his answers. And in the meantime, I'm not going to get discouraged over it. The devil tries to make us discouraged. But I'm going to go back to his promises. 
Because his promises are the only thing that holds true. Trust him. Commit your ways to him. Don't fear what others around you can do or are doing. Don't be envious of what you see those who don't serve Christ being prosperous in their ways. In the end is destruction. God's word tells us that. Hold on to Jesus with everything you've got. Don't listen to those around you who want to give you advice and tell you things are this way or that way or the other way. Go straight to the one who knows what things really are. Get to know him. And that's part of the trials that we go through. The testing of our faith is to get to know God better. So if you're in a battle right now, trust God. Trust him with everything you've got. Give him everything you've got. Hold on. Follow him wherever he leads. Whatever he wants you to do, don't be afraid of it. Because all he wants for you is to be successful, to be confident, to be more than a conqueror. And it's ours. All we have to do is trust in God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we come before you right now, Lord, I ask that you just encourage each one of us that's here to just stay steadfast and true to you and to your word. Give us all a desire to seek out your promises and be filled with the living water of your Holy Spirit that we won't thirst anymore, but we will continue to move forward and be more than a conqueror through you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for everyone that's here this morning. I ask that your will be done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.